So, Father in heaven, we come before you tonight. And we just want to just have good fellowship. We want to study your word together. We want to gain faith through your word. Father, we want to also pray for all those folks that are on the prayer list. You know what each one needs uh, to be whole and happy. We pray for those who are having health problems, Lord, that you'd please bless them with a touch of healing. To those that are traveling, Father, that you'd grant them safety. To those that are having financial problems, Lord, we pray that you will uh, bless them with whatever it is they need. Lord God in heaven, we do want to pray for our country and ask that you'd help us in this country. Help President Trump and his family keep them all safe. Bless all of the divine establishment-oriented leaders in our country. And for those that do not go along with what your word says, we pray that you will convict them to do that. Lord, we pray for all of our servicemen and women that you'd keep them safe and bring them home safely to us. Father, we pray for these folks that are exposed to this coronavirus, Lord, that, Lord, you would uh, please protect your people and, for that matter, all people from it, Lord, and that somehow, some way, they would find a, um, um, a cure for it, Lord. We thank you for that. Father in heaven, we ask that uh, that, that virus will not gain foothold in the countries where it's, it's really not in. And for the people that are suffering through it, Lord, the Chinese, the Italians, and uh, those people that are, that are starting to see epidemic proportions, we pray that, Lord God, your grace and mercy will take care of that. Father, we do pray that you'll give us wisdom and insight, discretion and understanding when we think about uh, this uh, beautiful chapters in Genesis. Help us to understand what was going on then. Father, we want to just learn from you, be more like you. We'll give you the praise. We'll give you all the glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, my friends, we are in Genesis, and <clears throat> we're not going to do much of a review, but do you remember in chapter 12, God calls, uh, he calls uh, Abram out of his country, and he tells him to leave his country and his people and his father's household and to go to a land that he's going to show well, his dad sort of kind of tagged along, but he ended up dying. And his nephew Lot, his brother's son, tagged along. And we see in chapter 13 that uh, Lot made a pretty bad judgment in, in where he wanted to live. <clears throat> you know, Abraham gave him, Abram gave him the choice. Let's not argue. We're brothers. Let's, uh, let's depart company. You pick which direction you want to go. And, you know, like a, a person that's selfish, he picked what looked to be the best place to go. And that was in the plains towards Sodom. 
Now, whether they had heard that Sodom was a pretty wicked city or not, uh, if he had heard about that and still picked uh, that place, then he, Lot had a real problem there. Now, maybe he was just ignorant of what was going on down in there in the, in the plain cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and, and a couple of other small cities, but that's where he decides to go. And it says that he went down there and he lived near the city, okay, near the city. And what we're going to see here is that the Lot didn't change the city, the city changed Lot. Now, Lot was apparently saved because in Peter, it talks about Lot that he was a righteous man. And when it says that, when the Bible says that you're a righteous person, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a real good person. It just means you're a saved person, okay? Because God's righteousness is given to us. We don't have it on our own. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. God gives it because that's what he does. We see that uh, eventually, and we're going to see this here in just a couple, three chapters or so, that Lot ends up at the city gates as a judge, kind of a, kind of a, a leader in a way of the city. And he's got two daughters, and they're engaged to um, Gomorrahans, <laughs> or however you would say people who live in Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodomites. That would be right? Would that be right? Sodomites? Okay, Sodomites. So, we see here in chapter 13, let's go ahead and review that real quick. We'll go to 14, 15, 16. 13.1 says, So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, that's the desert, with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Well, Abraham had been visiting Egypt because of a famine, and Abraham had kind of excuse me, had kind of lapsed in his faith because he told Sarah to co-conspire with him and tell everybody he was, she was his sister and not his wife. Well, she was actually his half-sister, so it was a half-truth, which is still a lie. And uh, so that was kind of an a interesting situation when Pharaoh found out about that. It says in verse 2, Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. And part of that had been because the Pharaoh had blessed him because he was supposedly Sarai's sister. And so the Pharaoh gave him a lot of gifts because, or brother, you're right, Sarai's brother. And so Pharaoh ended up giving him a lot of gifts, which may have been some of this livestock and silver and gold. We see here, too, that in chapter 13, verse 16, it says that Pharaoh treated Abram well for her sake, Sarai's sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maid servants, and camels. We know that Hagar was from Egypt. Abram is in Egypt. He acquired acquired men servants and maid servants. This is probably where he acquired the slave girl Hagar. Okay? 
So now she's going to go up with him out of Egypt. It says in verse 3, from the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so he was blessed by his association with Abram. Yes. Yeah, but you sure can. We're in Genesis chapter 13, uh, around verse 5. Okay? Yeah. So, Lot is blessed by association with his uncle, who was a godly man. Now, Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So they had probably already picked the choice areas, the fertile areas, etc., of the land. So, you know, but God had given Abram, by covenant, the whole land. So, you know, Lot went down and he found a place for him to stay and Abram went to where he was going and they coexisted with these Canaanites and Perizzites. Verse 8, so Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? In other words, hey Lot, look at the whole land. It's all there. Pick where you want to go. It says, let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt toward Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Zoar was a small town in the vicinity of Sodom and Gomorrah. And all of those towns were at the southern, kind of the southern part of the Dead Sea, okay? They have excavated, if you watch National Geographic and these type of shows, History Channel, they've excavated and they think they have found the remnants of Sodom and Gomorrah. There's not much left. So, now, verse 11 so Lot chose for himself, so that tells you what he's, where his heart is, the whole plain of Jordan. It's not like he, he chose half of it. Said, Listen, I'll split it in half with you. I'll go, you go this way, and that way we can be neighbors. Mm-mm. Whole plain for himself and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. Originally in chapter 12 we read that God told Abram to leave his family. Now, that did not happen technically until this verse 14. 
The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring would be counted. It's interesting because God kept confirming to Abram, you're going to have a child and out of that child is going to come a great nation. And he did this several times. He did it in chapter 12. He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. But yet Abram was still had some problems with his faith. He says in verse 17, Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. So he's living at Hebron now. Now, chapter 14, verse 1, at this time, uh, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and I'm just going to list where they're from, the king of uh, Elasser, Kedileomer, the king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goim, went to war against Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemeber, king of Zobiam, and the king of Bela. So there's four against five, okay? Four kings against five. The five being kind of headed up by the king of Sodom there. Now, it says, All these latter kings joined forces in the valley of Siddim, the Salt Sea. So they formed a coalition. For 12 years they had been subject to Keterloyomer, but in the 13th year they rebelled. So this, this war was about money. It was about power, about tribute. These five kings decided that they didn't want to be subjected to Keterliomer, and him and his coalition went to tell him, yeah, you are going to be, okay? It's, it's a pretty large area, yeah. I mean, if you think about Shinar and the plain of Shinar where Sodom and Gomorrah was, and so that's bordering in on Jordan, so this would have been... And we're going to see that Abram and his coalition of 318 men are going to chase uh, the kings that capture Lot about 140 miles. So this was a kind of a, yeah, it's a big, pretty big area. It says here um, in verse 5, In the 14th year, Kedileomer and the kings allied with him, went out and defeated the Rephaites. These were a race of people that were quite tall. In uh, Carnaim, the Zuzites in Ham, the Emites in Shava, and the Horites in the hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran, near the desert. Then they turned back and went to En Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and they conquered the whole territory of the Amic. Uh, Amalekites, as well as the Amorites who were living in Hazazon Tamar. So when we think about this, I mean, you got to remember too, at the very best, they had horses for transportation. Okay, So 
even a 30-mile walk was a pretty long walk. I mean, it pretty much took a day, a full day. Um, try walking from Medford to Grants Pass and you'll find out. Now, it says here then, in verse 8, Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Admah, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, marched out and drew up their battle lines in the valley of Siddim against Kedorlaomer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elazar. Four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddim was full of tar pits. And when the kings, kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into them, and the rest fled into the hills. Well, if you, I would assume if you fell into a tar pit, you're probably going to have trouble getting out. Yeah. It says here in verse 11, the four kings, they were the victors, seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food. Then they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew, Lot, and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Hmm. Talk about being at the wrong place at the wrong time, right? One who had escaped came and reported this to Abram the Hebrew. This is the first time in the Bible that we see him called the Hebrew. Now, Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, let's see, living near the great trees of Amorite, the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Aner, all of whom were allied with Abram. So Abram had found a way to make peace and a coalition with these other peoples. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household. That's a lot. Of, that's a, that's a, you know, a pretty decent little army to have at your service. It just kind of goes to show you that Abram was pretty wealthy. During the night... Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobath, north of Damascus. Well, if you know where Damascus is, okay, that's quite a ways up. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. So he rescued, if you will, the Sodomites that were taken captive. After Abram returned from defeating Ketoleomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaba, that is the king's valley. So Abram has scored quite a victory here. He has scored a victory over the four victorious armies, the coalition. Now, it says in verse 18, so in verse 17, the king of Sodom comes out to meet him. In verse 18, Melchizedek, the king of Jerusalem, brought out bread and wine. What a contrast between the king of Sodom and Melchizedek, who is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he was priest of God Most High. So Melchizedek was a king and, he's, and he was a priest. This was not allowed 
in the Jewish religion. Of course, this is before the law was given, right? Okay. So, Jesus Christ is our high priest, and he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So, Melchizedek had the same um, office, if you will, that Jesus Christ would have, and that's one reason why he is a type figure for the Lord. It says, he was priest of God, most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God, most high, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God, most high. So he blesses Abraham first. And blessed be God, most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. So, the king of Sodom comes out first. And you know he's going to be uh, very grateful. He's going to kiss up to Abraham, Abram, and he is going to offer Abram some of the spoils or rewards of, of war. And God allows or sends Melchizedek out to Abram, who tells him, blessed be God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. In other words, Abram, yeah, you did a fine job. You had 318 trained men. But the fact of the matter is God's the one that delivered the, the victory to you, okay? Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. If you read in the New Testament, it says that the greater is blessed by the less. So Abram giving Melchizedek the tithe showed that Melchizedek was greater than Abram, okay? Now, the king of Sodom, now it's king of Sodom's turn, okay? King of Sodom said to Abram, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth. Boy, is this a witness? He's witnessing here right to the king of Sodom. Who created? God most high. And I've taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the thong of a sandal. Why? So that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. You know, Abram wanted no part of the evil of Sodom. He wasn't greedy, but he, was, he depended upon God for his blessings. He will said in verse 24, I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me to Aner, Eshcol, and Mamre. Let them have their share. These were not Christian kings or from Christian nations. He says, you know, these people went to war with me, so you give them whatever, they, whatever their share is, you give it to them. You deal with them directly. Now, that's where we stopped last week. Now, let's look at God's covenant with Abram. God has already made a covenant with Abram about the land, hasn't he? Okay? We saw that in previous chapters. He says, first of all, I'm going to show you the land. Then he says, I'm going to bring you to the land. Then he says, I'm going to give you the land. And so, uh, the land has been promised to Abram. Now we're going to see a covenant regarding his progeny. Verse 1, chapter 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. 
Now, why did God give him this vision? Well, you know, he just came back from war, first of all. So he was probably, you know, I mean, he was probably had his adrenaline pumping and was wondering if there's going to be any retribution or whatever. And Abram was still concerned about the fact that he was childless. Don't, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Now, we have to go into Abram's mindset here. He says in verse 2, but Abram, when we say, when we see a but, we're looking for a contrast, aren't we? So the contrast is going to be between, do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, boom, and I am your very great reward. We're going to contrast that with something next. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? Oh, my gosh. You know, Abram, is, it's like, well, Lord, I mean, you, you know, I know you've given me the land. You gave me a pretty wife. You gave me 318 men. You gave me a bunch of slaves. You gave me camels. You gave me this. But I ain't got no kid. What, what can you give me? Well, he'd already given him a whole bunch of stuff. And he'd promised him he was going to give him more. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Bad plan number one, okay? No, his servant is not going to be his heir. You know, go back, Abram. What have I told you? You know, sometimes it's just like us, isn't it? Well, Lord, I guess plan A hasn't worked out very well. I guess I'll make up a plan B. And if that don't work out very well, I'm going to go to a plan C. Hopefully I don't have to go to anything more than that. Verse 4, and the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir. Let me repeat myself. But a son coming from your own body will be your heir. Got it? He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. So he reiterates his promise to Abram. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, that's where his family was, of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. Oh, my goodness. But Abram said, Oh, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove. And You know, God's got a lot of patience, don't he? Man, he's got a lot of patience. Yes. Well, 
That's a good, good question. Um, you know, God worked differently in the Old Testament in some ways. He talked by visions. He talked by uh, in other ways. Is God sitting next to him? No. No, God's not sitting. No man has ever seen God. So it could be just that he was, you know, maybe it was that small, still voice. I, I don't know. But he was, talk, he was talking to him. And Moses wrote this, right? Correct. Yes. Correct. Okay. Oh, I don't know. You're pushing it now. So, did Moses and Abraham Oh, that's a good question. Can anybody answer that? No? No? We've got some no's. Okay, so I'm going to say no because I, I don't want to have to look it up. No, they, they were not alive to get at the same time. Okay. All right. Now, so we're in 15, verse 9. So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. So he's going to, he's, he's going to be sacrificing. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. Now, the Lord must have given him instructions to do that. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Now, this is a sign to Abram. We're going to see in just a couple of verses what it is a sign of. He says in verse 12, and I'll come back to that, Verse 12, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, so the Lord is going to prophesy something that's going to be fulfilled in Exodus chapter 1. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. It was actually 430, but, I, but they're rounding, he's rounding it out here. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, that's Egypt, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good, a good old age. So when he had this, when he saw the birds or the birds of prey come down on the carcasses, so he cut the animals right in half and then the birds of prey came down that was uh, corresponding to the vision that the Egyptians would or like birds of prey would come down on his descendants and enslave them alright now verse 16 in the fourth generation your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure that's kind of a scary verse. You know, God allows evil to be up to a certain point. And then he says, I'm done with it. All right? And we have seen, and I have spoke about this many times in the past, the United States of America, okay, our country is like on a pivot, like this, okay, okay, and 
Right now, the amount of believers, God-fearing believers, are offsetting the amount of evil that is in the United States of America. If evil continues to prosper and expand to the point of where it overrules everything, then God will give up on America. And certainly, at the rapture, that's certain to happen. Because there will be a good portion of citizens of this country that will, that will leave. Um, people ask, well, how, how, how much? Well, you figure this way. Uh, the, the polls show that roughly a little over 60% of people in America characterize themselves as Christians, right? That would include Christians of all faiths. Now, if you think about that, um, probably the real percentage is probably down a lot closer to 10% maybe, or if, if that, maybe 15, I don't know, you know. The good news is that there's still enough of that Christian influence to have our country be powerful and strong and uh, you, can, you can think what you want about the politicians that we have now in our country, both Democrat, Republican and um, Independent. And again, it's not about Democrat, Republican, or Independent. It's about which candidate and which party more closely aligns themselves with God's Word. That's what it's really about, okay? And there are Democrats, I'm sure, that... that, that uh, don't espouse certain things of the Democratic Party, and there's re Republicans that, that are, do the same thing. But I, I honestly can't see that God approves of wholesale abortion, okay? I can't see where God approves of the White House being lit up in uh, homosexual colors, okay, and rainbow flags. I just don't think that's God's will because it's not God's word, all right? So when we think about the politicians, you have to think about God's word. And this is going to become very important as we uh, hit this next election. Now, okay, so in verse 16, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sins of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. That must have been kind of a scary sight. On that, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites, and all of the other ites. Verse 16. Now Sarai, 
Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian handmaiden named Hagar. So she said to Abram, What's that? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm in chapter 16. Yeah. So uh, Sarah, she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Really? Come on, Sarah. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Well, Abram said, okay. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. Does this remind you of any other couple where hubby took the advice of wifey and it wasn't very good advice? Hey, uh, this apple looks pretty darn good to eat and it's wise and all the stuff. And, and Adam said, okay, I'll, I'll eat it. Okay, okay. So here's what happened. Abram Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So this is plan B. Plan A was, oh, Eliezer of Damascus, I guess he'll be my heir. No, that didn't work out. God said no. Plan B is, okay, well, I guess I'll have a child through Hagar. Sarai can adopt him. And then the plan will be through that child. Yes. Well, yeah, right. You know, Sarai is saying that the Lord has kept me from having children. All right? Is that what you're questioning? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, I got you. So that was, the cust- that was customary in these days. If a woman was barren, she, it, was, it was a custom that one of the handmaidens could have children and the, the wife, the main wife, would then, in essence, in essence, the handmaiden would be a surrogate. Okay, so in our culture, we kind of don't do that, but in their culture, it wasn't uncommon. Okay, does that answer your question? Okay, awesome. Now, So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. Now, so I'm assuming it says he'd been in Canaan ten years and I believe that he was 75 uh, when he left. Let's see if I can find that real quick. Um, so I, I'm, I'm thinking that Abram is about 85 years old right here. Okay? Now, pretty spry 85-year-old, huh? Man. When she, that would be Hagar, then you know what? Let me see. Wait a minute. When she knew that she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. So God was kind of responsible up there in, you know, around verse 2, 1 or 2, and now Abram's getting the treatment. 
Um, Sarai is a complainer. There's no doubt. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. So here Sarai blames Abram for his problems. Sarai is in a little bit of a state of rebellion and maybe some unbelief here. And so she kind of puts it in Abram's court. She is upset that, that um, Hagar got pregnant. Verse 6. This is Abram speaking. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. So Hagar runs away because of Sarah's mistreatment. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now with child, and you will have a son. You will name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. So in, let me, let me look at this real quick. So the angel of the Lord found, she, the angel saw Hagar and said that the Lord has has knows that she's there, and now the angel of the Lord says, for the Lord has heard your misery. So the Lord has saw, and the Lord has heard the misery. Verse 12. So we're going to see the birth of the Arabs here. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward his brothers, all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. And that means that the well that the Lord saw me at. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abraham, Abram a son and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son he had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Now this is another one of those situations where you better be prepared for the consequences of your decision. Okay? God had told, very plainly told Abram and Sarai that the child, the promised child, will come out of your bodies. And Abram and Sarai, in their lack of faith, decided to try plan B. Well, plan B ended up, we are seeing the fruits of plan B today and throughout history where the Arabs have been 
uh, really pretty much enemies, most, most of the time enemies of, of the nation of Israel, the promised uh, people. Verse 13, or verse, um, excuse me, chapter 17, verse 1. So here we go. Now, some time has passed. When Abram was 99 years old, he was 86 years old when Hagar bro, uh, bore him uh, Ishmael. So this is what? This is 13 years later, right? When Abram was 99 years old. So we don't know much about what happened between 86 and 99. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. Boom. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Now this is interesting. For I have made you. Boy, but we're not seeing that promise fulfilled yet, are we? But the promise was there. And God made the promise and reiterated the promise as if the promise had already taken place. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between you, me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now, an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and to your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abram, Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Now, when God made a covenant with Noah, he sealed it with a sign, didn't he? What was the sign? The bow, the rainbow. Now, he's going to seal this covenant with Abram with a sign. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born into your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring, whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people, for he has broken my covenant. Then God said to Abram, As for Sarai, your wife, which means kind of like complainer, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. Sarah means princess. So she went from complainer to princess. And Abram went from uh, exalted father or father of high and windy places to father of many nations. 
I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. Wow. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He, he laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Well, you know, I'm sure he loved his son Ishmael, and I'm sure he wanted Ishmael to be blessed, and God had promised to bless him and his descendants. But still, I mean, Abram is still kind of in that doubt mode. And I mean, in a way, in a way from a human aspect, you can't blame him because both him and Sarah, him being 99, by the time he would have his son born to him, he would be 100. And Sarah at 89, by the time the child was born to her, she would be 99. And the Bible specifically says in Romans that their sexual organs, etc., their ability to have kids, was, it was dead. They, she was barren, he was sexually dead. So, you know, here he, he laughs. You know, why do we laugh when we either get in trouble or we see something that, that, that you know, here God told him, he says, he says listen, I'm going to make her a mother of nations and kings of people will come from her. And Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, he said to himself, Mm-hmm. Can you imagine? Fell down on his face and laughed and said, Will a son be born to a man 100 years old and a woman that's 99? I don't think so. Then God said, verse 19, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him, and as for Ishmael, he does, God doesn't leave Ishmael out. I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful, and he will greatly increase his numbers. Again, this is blessing by association. This is Abram, Abram's child, first child, not the promised child, but a child nonetheless, and God blesses him and Hagar because of his association with Abraham. Now, it says he will be the father of 12 rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. So we're going to assume that Sarah, Sarah was not present at this little meeting, okay? She's doing something else. 23. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household. So Abraham obeys God immediately. Or bought with his money every male in his household and circumcised them as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. And his son Ishmael was what? 13. Yeah. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on the same day, and every male in Abraham's 
household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. That had to be kind of an uncomfortable uh, time in Abraham's camp at that point. Correct. Well, um, mu Muslim, I mean, yeah, many Arabs are Muslims, okay? Um, what unites them also is their, is their common religion. Uh, uh, help me out here, somebody. Islam, thank you. Yeah, yeah, Islam. Yes. He was part of Abraham's family, household. Part of the spiritual promise? No. Just part of the Yes. Yeah, part of, part of the blessing by association. Yeah. But he had his own... For his... Which is pretty cool. Yeah. So Abraham, uh, God did not forget Ishmael, but out of Ishmael would not come the promised people, but he would be still blessed because he was associated with Abraham. Uh, uh, he, you know, the Arab race is huge. I mean, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's probably in many ways more populated than the Jews, uh, I would say. Yeah, and, cer and certainly, you know, the Arabs have not been uh, persecuted like the Jews have. No. Well, and neither, so neither, nobody is automatically blessed with salvation, but Abraham and his descendants were blessed with the word of God, Okay. They were blessed with the word of God. So they were who the word was going to be spoken through. Okay? The three visitors, chapter 18, verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, where he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I compare this greeting, compare this hospitality with the men of Sodom in greeting the angels that went down there. And we'll, we may get, I think we're going to get to that tonight. He said here, he said, if I have found favor in, favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and then go on your way, now that you've come to your servant. Now, this is Abraham. Abraham's a rich dude. I mean, he's a powerful guy at this point in time, and yet he's very humble. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried to the tent hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of fine flour and knead it, into, knead it and bake some bread. 
Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. That's awesome. He was just mesmerized. I mean, Abram is like, oh man, these guys are something special about these three guys, I'm telling you. It says here, where is your... So, this is one of the... One of the angels says, where is your wife Sarah? They ask him. There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said... So, we can assume that there was the Lord in a theophany here, okay, and two angelic messengers, because the Lord stayed with Abraham, Abraham and the two messengers went down to Sodom. That's the way most uh, people feel about this. It says, then, then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Boom. Promise going to be kept. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid. So she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Again, I don't know how God puts up with all of us. I really don't. Verse 16. Then the men got up to leave and looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. Numbers 32.23 says, Be sure your sin will find you out. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham, Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Well, Abraham already, Abraham already knew how wicked Sodom was, or he wouldn't have said that. Okay? And plus, I'm sure he's probably had a little communication with his nephew Lot about who's living down there. 
What if there are 50 righteous people in the city, saved people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says that, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10 says that God's wrath does not come upon the righteous. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abram's, So Abram must have been thinking in his head, right? Hmm. I wonder if I can bargain a little bit more. Then Abram spoke up again, Now that I have been so bold as to speak to you, the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy, destroy, will you destroy the whole city because of five people? If I find 45 there, he says, I will not destroy it. So you've got to get into Abram's mind here. Abram, Abraham is thinking, okay, now wait a minute. My... My nephew Lot's down there. I don't want Lot to get destroyed, right? So Lot has got a wife, so that's two people. He's got two daughters, so that's four people. They're engaged, so that's six people. There's got to be four more people in Sodom that know the Lord. So Abraham's going to keep whittling this number down until he gets to ten. He says this, once again, he spoke. What if there's only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I'll not do it. May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30? So he goes from 5 to 10. He goes from, from going down 5, 50 to 45. Now he's going down big time. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And he said, look, may the Lord not be angry, but let me just speak once more. Okay, I've got this figured out. What if only 10 can be found there? Then he said, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. Then the Lord had finished speaking with Abram and left, and Abram returned home. Now, we see that God always sends preachers before he sends destroyers. Chapter 19, verse 1. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said. Now, does Lot know that these are angelic creatures? I, I think maybe not. What's Lot doing there at the gateway of the city? I thought he, his tents were near the city. Now we see him in the evening sitting at the gateway of the city. So Lot went from choosing the whole plain of Jordan, or the plain of uh, uh, Shinar, to living, pitching his tents near the city. Now he's in the city, at the gate of the city, in the evening, greeting visitors. He's the welcome wagon. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. 
you can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. You know, you have to wonder. Lot is being hospitable here, but he also knows how wicked the men are. And I'm sure he's thinking, man, you cannot spend the night in the town square. This will not be good. You, it just won't be good. So it says, he, had, he prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate before they had gone to bed. All the men, A-L-L, all the men, from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. Wow. They called to Lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. <sighs> Lot's in a pickle. You can't choose to live without sin or to live among sin without it affecting you. It's going to affect you one way or the other. And how did it affect Lot? Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends. Ooh, I've got friends circled in my Bible. So the wicked men of Sodom, he calls his friends. So now not only is he living near Sodom, not only is he sitting at the gate of Sodom as a gatekeeper in the evening, but the people of Sodom he calls his friends. You can see that Sodom has influenced Lot, not Lot influencing Sodom. Good question. Why, why hadn't they tried to have sex with Lot? Don't know. But to show how screwed up Lot's thinking is, he says, look, he says, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Okay, at least he recognizes it's a wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you. And you can do whatever you like with them. Talk about picking the lesser of two evils. They're both evil. It's, it's a, what a terrible thing. Now I would have gone inside, got my forty-five and an extra clip. I'll take care of some of those boys. Says here, but don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. So these are militant homosexuals. Abraham becomes a friend of God, we read, while Lot becomes a friend of so Sodom. Verse 9, get out, of, get out of our way, they replied. And they said, this fellow, speaking of Lot, Lot, came here as an alien, and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. I could just see this little shepherd's staff, you know. <laughs> Get in here, Lot. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so that they could not find the door. 
The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-laws, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-laws who were pledged to marry his daughters. And he said, Hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-laws thought he was joking. So Lot had lost his credibility here. He had become so much a fixture in Sodom that even his sons-in-law didn't believe him. They thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is, is punished. When he hesitated, who's he? Lot. Lot hesitated. The men, that would be the angels, grasped his hands and the hands of his wife and his daughters and led them safely out of the city for the Lord was merciful to them. They basically drug him out of the city. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee from your lives, flee for your lives and don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, no, my lords, You know, kind of gutsy, isn't it? You know, I mean, angels come to your door. Militant homosexuals, who you thought were your friends, weren't really your friends. They're going to, they're threatening to not only break your door down, not only to victimize his guests, but they will victimize you too. We'll do, you, we'll do you wrong, Mr. Friend. And Lot hesitates. Sons-in-law didn't believe him. Lot hesitates. And now he says to him, No, my lords, please. Your, ser- your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me, and I'll die. Look. Here is a town near enough to run to, and it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. Oh, Lot's really looking after himself. He said to him, very well, I will grant this request. Two, I will not overthrow the town you speak of. I believe that that town may have been Zoar. Oh, yeah, it is Zoar. Okay. But flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zoar. You notice what he does not say? The angel does not say, because I will not do anything until you reach it. He says, I cannot do anything. He cannot destroy the town with righteous people in it. Because he promised, yeah. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land, 
Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. You know, it's interesting because they have that area around uh, where this is has been shown to be have a lot of volcanic activity and it's prone to earthquakes too. So it could be that earthquakes opened up a fissure that who knows what. The pillar? Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you've... Uh, I don't remember what the name of the city is, but it was a city, I believe... Um, I can't remember if it was in... I think it was in Iceland, but I'm not sure, where the ground just split and it was all volcanic in there It's and it erupted. And it, Do you remember what I'm talking about? You probably... I don't remember again. I don't remember. But that's, that may have been what happened here is some type of an earthquake happened or something and, and the volcanic, it just rained volcanic ash on Sodom and Gomorrah until it buried it. And that's what the Lord, that's, that's the fire and brim, brimstone. Two, two comments about that area. That area right there has the largest, longest fault line in the world. It's one-fifth the circumference of the globe. That's crazy. It runs straight down through the Dead Sea into Africa. Wow. That's awesome. You know, and it says when Jesus comes back, he's going to put his foot on the Mount of Olives and it's going to split. It's that same, it's that same fault line that you're talking about. Yeah. Well, let's stop there and we're going we're gonna to have a little um, R-rated uh, Bible study for next week, okay? In fact, it might even get into some X-rated uh, with a lot in his daughters and uh, all of the... The stuff that went on there, and we'll get into, can you believe we're almost at chapter 20? Huh? Making a little progress here, right? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this Bible study. Lord, help us to not be friends with the world, as Lot was. We know that your word says in 1 John that If we're friends with the world, we are enemies with God. So help us to live in the world and to to be happy here, but not to allow this to be our priority, Lord. And we'll give you the praise. We ask that you'll bless this Sunday service, Lord, that people will remember to turn their clocks uh, ahead and that, uh, Lord, you just uh, bless the message, the music, and the fellowship. 
and we'll give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So this Saturday night, we turn our clocks 